So let's, uh, let's get into the word for today. Let's open our Bibles to the book of James uh, chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 12 verses today in a message that uh, I have entitled, Pray, Be Patient, and Persevere. It's a good admonition for us all, amen? Let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, uh, with your patience, for your patience with us. And uh, we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts in this moment. God, you know every need that's here. And so we just lift up the needs of every heart, and we pray, Lord, that you would move and minister as only you can. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 5 opens up with a great concentration of condemnation. It's, uh, it's like the words that if someone were to say to you something along the lines of, hey, I want to read something to you out of the Bible, and then they proceeded to read these words, you might be tempted to believe that they were the words of, the, of some, you know, castigating rebuke of an ancient prophet of old. I mean, for instance, uh, Ezekiel writes in and says to us, they will throw their silver into the streets, and their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomachs because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. And, and he's saying to those to whom he's addressing, look, your money will not be able to save you. Your money will not uh, satisfy you. It will not fill your stomach in the day of judgment. Your money will not serve you in any way because it became to you a stumbling block of iniquity. The idea there, your money, you know, will not save, will not deliver that God can't be bought off. You know, uh, people who have lots of money are typically generally used to having their way. Uh, but God was saying here in the day of my wrath, your wealth won't help you. It will only witness against you. Now let's turn our attention to the very first words of James chapter 5. He says, come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver will be are, are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Well, we read that, and we kind of go, wow. We kind of take a step back, and it's like, you know, James, please. Don't hold back. You know, don't beat around the bush. Tell us what's really on your mind. And we wonder, like, where is this coming from? Well, if you remember right, James chapter 4 uh, came to a close uh, with James kind of having developed the idea of humble dependency upon the Lord. Uh, he was seeking to establish the proper perspective on life, recognizing how frail and vulnerable life truly is. And he brought up this example of people saying things like, well, you know, we're going to go to such and such a city and we're going to stay there for a year and we're going to buy and we're going to sell, we're going to make lots of money and all. And, and again, guys, it's not that it's wrong to make a plan, but we're not to presume upon anything outside of the permission of God. 
In other words, we can do those things if God wills, and that's to be our attitude in the things that we do and plan to do. But it's kind of into this context of arrogance that uh, James is launching into, this arrogance, this making money, and he's launching into chapter 5 here, because though we wouldn't say categorically that it's the rich who develop uh, an attitude of independence from God, we would say that generally the tendency most definitely would be inclined more that direction. And we should also say that the Bible doesn't in any way condemn uh, making money. The Bible doesn't condemn providing for your family. The Bible doesn't even condemn acquiring generational wealth to provide for your family, uh, take care of them after you're gone. You know, there were wealthy patriarchs in the Old Testament. They were faithful to God. There were a, a few or a number of, of wealthy that were counted among the followers of Jesus. Yet, if you're going to read the New Testament honestly, you have to conclude that riches can also present additional and significant obstacle to our attitude toward and even entrance into the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 19, we read where Jesus told his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he kind of underscores it here. He says, and again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when he said that, as you might imagine, it blew his disciples' minds because they were of the same mentality that many of us are today. And that is, if someone is rich, they're blessed by God. If they're poor, not so blessed. And Jesus was trying to unravel that mindset because riches can work against our ability to recognize our need for God. And in our passage, that's the mentality that James is speaking into. People trusting temporary gain rather than looking to God. And he's trying to sober them up to the reality of the fact that, listen, your money won't save you. Okay? Don't deceive yourself and translate the creature comforts of life as being tantamount as, th as to things, you know, being good between you and God. It's not the creature comforts you need in your life, it's Jesus Christ, right? And so he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, again, let's recall, he's building upon what repentance looks like uh, from the previous chapter. Remember the words there in chapter 4? He was like, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And the idea there is that Christ brings comfort and assurance, but riches are a concern and they're embedded with warning, okay? And the Bible is clear as it pertains to riches, though again, there's nothing wrong inherently with them. The Bible is pretty clear. Don't pursue them. Don't trust in them. Uh, don't abuse them and don't oppress others through the means of them. Now here's a few more verses for you. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
those who desire to be rich, this is like the, the main unction of your heart, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? For the love of money. You see, a lot of times people go, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. Listen, money makes a tremendous servant just a terrible master. It's the love of money. That's the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith, notice, in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor, notice, let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord." I'll give you one more. It's Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. I mean, I hope you're picking up on kind of the, the thread that's woven throughout these passages. Trusting in something temporary will only serve to snare your eternal destiny. Does that make sense? We get caught up in heaping up treasures on earth when we ought to be laying up treasures in heaven and placing our priority in that direction. Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be all like, well, you know, but don't, and don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. You see, we don't trust in them. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, in other words, don't focus on the temporary. Lay up treasures where they will serve you eternally. Uh, you know, for uh, he says, there the moth or rust doesn't destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. Notice for where your treasure is. Come on, somebody. That's where your heart's going to be. He doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. He says where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Think about that. Most of you probably don't have any interest in real estate unless you invest in real estate. Then you're looking at it all the time. You see what I'm saying? Your heart follows your treasure. And trust me when I tell you guys, we could go on and on. The Bible is replete with scripture concerning money and mismanaged priorities. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus was clear, you'll hate one and love the other or else you'll be loyal to the one, you'll despise the other. But think it through. Where are you going to place your priority? Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Why trust in temporary why trust in the uncertainty of riches? And, you know, when we're talking about in the light of eternity, right? James says here in our passage, look, your crops, your clothes, your cash, you know, your gold and silver and all, it's all going to burn. Your crops will be corrupted. Your clothes will be moth-eaten. 
Your cash, right? Your gold, your silver will be corroded. In other words, they will all fail you. Ultimately, eternally, you can't take any of it with you. What does the Bible say? Naked you came into the world, and naked you're going to leave the world. In other words, you brought nothing in, you're going to take nothing out. The seeds of death and decay are found in all of creation. Wise then is the one who will look to and trust in Jesus Christ who has settled the sin issue through the blood of His cross. James says you're hoarding your wealth. You're heaping up treasure thinking that it's somehow gained to you. The reality is it's only going to testify against you. On the day of judgment, it will reveal prideful arrogance rather than humble dependence upon the Lord. And like I said, guys, we could hang out here. Time won't really allow us to press much farther, but I want you to write this down and look it up later. It's Luke chapter 12, okay? Write it down out there in the edge there, the margin of your Bible near this passage or in your notes, whatever. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And again, guys, you know, it's not wrong to make money or save money, but here's the warning. Don't hoard money, okay? When is it enough? Uh, How many of you have ever heard me say, and every time I bring it up, I say I tell my kids all the time, that the flesh is what? It's never satisfied. The flesh is never, it's like drinking seawater, man. The more you drink, the thirstier you get, right? And it makes you a little crazy, I mean, how many millions does a man need? I mean, I don't know. A million enough? Eh. Three? Ten? I mean, how many? When, when are we good? Fifty million? I can't remember who it was asked of. I think it was one of the richest men in, of the world at the time. They, he was like, they were like, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Yeah. Guys, God doesn't give wealth for us to hoard, but for us to help. He blesses so that we will bless. When you read that passage later in the Gospel of Luke, think about what that man did, okay? Maybe, and I'll trigger your memory here, but maybe instead of building bigger barns, he should have helped fill someone else's barn for the glory of God in the name of Jesus, right? Uh, But when we're always and only thinking of self, it'll snare us. Look at verse 4. He says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, you've heard the phrase, money talks. Well, James would agree. He says, the wages of those whom you have defrauded, they've worked for you. You haven't given the appropriate, the agreed upon, the right wages to them. And those wages cry out, and those cries have reached the ears of God. You know, it's like, the, you remember when Jesus there on uh, the, um, uh, 
the day that he rode into Jerusalem, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. Actually, Palm Sunday, which will be next Sunday. But you remember he said, if they don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. Well, this is in kind of that similar kind of a tone where he's like, look, the wages are crying out. It's like the money's crying out for justice and judgment being held against its will. You know, it knows it belongs to the one who worked for it, but it's being held. It's being heaped up by the fraudulent employer. Now, here in verse 4 and verse 6 James begins to make a connection for us, okay? In the ancient world to which James is writing, a middle class did not exist. You had extremely wealthy people, you had extremely poor people, and there was really not a whole lot in between. And people were paid every day for their their work at the end of the day because they depended upon that uh, to put food on their family's table that night. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren, one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. In other words, it doesn't matter who it is. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it for he is poor and has set his heart on it lest he cry out against you to the Lord. Notice, and it be sin to you. And this is why we read in verse 6 of James 5 that he does not resist you. That is the poor, the one whom you're oppressing. It's because he had no means to resist. I mean, what could he do? It was easy for the rich to win legal battles. They had money. They could hire legal help. They could bribe the judge. And, and that, that would be the end of it. What were you going to do about it? How could you resist it? Case closed. But in verse 4, James says, not only have the wages cried out, and this is where the connection begins to be drawn not only have the wages cried out against you, the worker has cried out as well, and their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Now, not the Lord of Sa the Sabbath. If you've read that before and thought, oh, it must just be a different spelling on the Lord of the Sabbath. That's not what's happening here. This is Sabaoth, or, you know, and that's one way to pronounce it. There's two or three ways, but what does it mean? Well, it, it means the Lord of hosts. It could be translated the Lord of hosts. In other words, the commander of the host, the armies of heaven, okay? In other words, the poor can't defend themselves, but their cries have reached the ears of their divine defender, and your riches aren't going to do you any good when you stand before this judge. Okay, that's what he's saying. These workers have been promised a wage, but weren't being paid accordingly. Instead, their employers were taking the gains, and he says, living in luxury. You know, you're getting fat off of the work of others around you, and God has heard the cries of his people. But this is the connection that James is making for us as believers. Our course of action, uh, if we're being treated unfairly, even if we don't have the means and the wherewithal to create a case legally, should be to turn to God in prayer, who hears your case and will respond righteously. Amen. And to kind of pivot here, because he's been rebuking the oppressor, the wealthy, the one who's uh, doing wrong to the poor, 
But the overarching point, guys, is that we are to pay what we owe. Does that make sense to you? You can apply this in, to any context. As believers, we don't hold back on paying our bills, uh, our taxes. Boo, I know, <laughs> right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Now, if you can get a tax break, it's a legal tax break, cool, go for it. I encourage you. But to not pay what is owed is tantamount to stealing. That's what he's saying. You're given a service at a certain price, and that's the end of it. We honor the Lord. We pay our bills. And guys, I'm not saying that there's never any extenuating circumstance. You know, you're, you, you, maybe you've lost your job. You're really trying, but you're falling behind. That's, that's different than intentionally avoiding your obligation. You see what I'm saying? But this is why James speaks of murder and condemnation here in verse 6. Because not paying someone could literally make the difference between life and death for them. What were they going to do about it? In Luke chapter 16, you discover there, you'll find a rich man. He, Jesus says he fared sumptuously every day. And Lazarus, who was a beggar, was laid at his gate. In other words, the connection is somehow and in some way this man was responsible for him. I don't know if he had worked for him. I don't know what was going on. But Lazarus was laid at his gate and was literally, Jesus said, just given the crumbs that fell from his table. In other words, he maybe got some table scraps. Right? What happened? Lazarus died. Right? You read the passage, Lazarus died. Now, did the rich man, did he die because the rich man went out there and ran him through with a sword? No. But the rich man condemned him just the same by withholding from him. You understand? And at the expense of sounding like a broken record here, I, I'll say it again, nothing in the Bible condemns acquiring wealth, okay? However, the way we acquire it and what we do with it once we have it is a big deal before God, okay? God pays attention and will judge the way we make money and the way we spend and or invest our money. And if we're always and only thinking of this life, this world, enriching myself, it's going to be a problem if I'm not being, Jesus would say, rich toward the kingdom, investing in things that will make a difference eternally, moving forward, ministry, whatever the case may be, you understand. Okay. James anticipates a reply, you know. He tells them, pray, you know, your prayers have reached the ears of God and all of this. And he's kind of anticipating this whole, look, we have prayed, we're still, bless you, still being uh, mistreated, uh, those wrongs aren't being righted, but following prayer, okay, so we're getting the, the progression here. Following prayer comes the need, James explains, for patience and perseverance, okay? So let's look now at verse 7. Therefore, okay, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also, notice, be patient. Establish your hearts for the Lord's, 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So guys, notice now how James' tone, his inflection turns from harsh condemnation really to compassion and consolation. The essence here is this. We do well to obtain and to maintain the eternal perspective. Not every wrong is going to be made right in this world. But when the Lord returns, He will settle every account. He will right every wrong. Our hope, listen to me, and hopefully all of you are extremely uh, proficient in this perspective. You know this readily. It's confirmed to you probably, uh, you know, <laughs> every session. But our hope is not in a political party. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And guys, I know this isn't anything new to you, but as believers, you just need to understand that this world, in this world, things are not always going to go your way. You're not always going to get a fair deal. Now, that doesn't mean we just kind of roll over and take it. Well, I mean, this is just the way it's going to be. No, our, but our hope isn't in this world. Look how they treated Jesus. I mean, do you think somehow we deserve better? Let me put it to you like this. If this world has rejected God, how do you anticipate that it will treat the godly? Does that make sense to you? The Bible says, in the world you will have tribulation. And again, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Patient endurance is the name of the game until Jesus returns. Are you following me? However, it's not without expectation. In fact, it's our hope in Christ that strengthens our resolve that enables us to patiently endure, to hold up under the weight of stress, and the struggles of this world. James says, look at the farmer. He gives this illustration. Uh, he says, notice how he waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Guys, the farmer doesn't cultivate the ground, plant the seed, and then go out the next morning and uh, see if it's time to harvest. Any of you gardeners? Like a handful of you? I mean, I've tried. It went probably about like you'd think. <laughs> um, but, you know, every day you're out there like, nope, nothing yet. You're pulling the weeds. You're kind of doing the thing, putting the stuff on it. And, you know, all that, nope, nothing yet. You know, day after day, you're waiting, you're looking, you're anticipating. There's patience involved. The harvest is coming. You can expect to see it ultimately, but it doesn't happen immediately, does it? And so again, he's taking us from this exhortation, like James has been so faithful to do, into this illustration. He says, man, the farmer, look at this guy. And think about how hard he works. He continues to work even though the crop can't be seen. And he says, so too with you, so too with me. The harvest seems so far away. But we need to 
continue steadfastly. We need to endure patiently, being busy about the work of the Lord until we see him face to face. Guys, the farmer has to wait for the early rains and the latter rains. In other words, irrigation in the ancient world was nowhere near on the level that it is today. Uh, They planted, oh, I don't know, September, October, something like this. And when the October, November rains, you think in Middle East, the seasons weren't quite like they are here. Uh, They would, the rains would come and they depended upon these early rains to help the grain establish roots in the earth. And then again around, uh, you know what, April, March, April, the latter rains so that the grain could send up the shoot and bring forth the fruit. And so they depended upon the rain when they planted the crop and then again before they harvested the crop. And so too when we're having to deal with difficult people or a relationship is struggling and we're praying, James is saying, look, give God time. He's working in ways that we don't see, that maybe we can't even recognize. Be patient. Don't lose heart, he says. Establish your heart. Remember, he's talking with regard to relationships here. This fraudulent employer, you're being ripped off, you're having a struggle in this relationship, whatever the case may be. He says, strengthen your resolve to trust in the Lord, be it through prayer, be it through God's word, uh, be it through godly counsel, fellowship with one another. As long as we're in this uh, kind of farming kind of uh, context, we, we need to cross-pollinate with one another, Right? through worship. Meanwhile, like the farmer who keeps faithfully tending to the field, he says, continue to serve the Lord. Keep working. Keep waiting. Because Jesus is coming, guys. And we want to be found busy about our master's business when he returns. Amen? I mean, we don't want to be found sleeping. We don't want to be found being neglectful derelict of duty, whatever the case may be, man, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found serving the Lord. The farmer plows in hope. He expects a reward. He continues to work. He depends upon things beyond his ability to control. The early and the latter rains. He patiently waits for a long time, regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstance. So too with you, so too with me. And just so you see it, guys, a lack of patience really isn't just a little character flaw. Uh, Scripture commands it of us. You can write it down, patience, long-suffering, depending on how your Bible renders it. Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit Love, 1 Corinthians 13, is patient. Ephesians chapter 4 commands us to be patient with one another. And so he says, look, keep your eyes on the finish line. Maintain the eternal perspective. The coming of the Lord is at hand. What does that mean, the coming of the Lord is at hand? That's at hand. Thanks. Got one little chuckle out of the deal. But if something is at hand, it means it's like it's 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 right there. You take something, you hold it out in your hand, that's at hand. 
It's not far off. Listen, it's like history. You say, well, they were saying that, you know, when Jesus came that, you know, it was the last date. Well, that's exactly right. When Jesus came the first time, it triggered, it initiated what the Bible refers to as the last days. It's like history's running, 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 bam, right here at the edge, right? And now it's kind of running parallel to the precipice. And at any time, the Lord could come. God is patient. Aren't you, guys, come on. Aren't you grateful that God is patient? I'm telling you the truth. How many of us would have missed the boat if God was so impatient as to come 15 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, 35 years ago, whatever. But you think about God is, God is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, right? But he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Now, we're impatient. We get in the boat, and we're like, Lord Jesus, come, you know. Well, wait, what about, aren't you so glad that that wasn't what happened when you weren't in the boat? And so we begin to get a feel for the heart of God in these things, not being willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So he holds the door open as long as he possibly can. And we thank God for that. Be patient. Jesus is coming. In verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now listen, I'm not sure if this is exactly what James is aiming at. It's kind of the connection that I saw. Uh, But have you ever noticed that when you are going through a tough time, a struggle, there's frustration, there's exasperation, whatever the case may be, you find yourself short with other brothers or sisters, maybe a spouse, your wife, your husband. It's like you're struggling, you're going through something, and so you kind of have a tendency to take it out on them. You're short with them, you're grumbling with them, you're complaining at them. He says, don't do that. Don't allow your frustration, your exasperation to turn inward on one another. I believe that it's in Galatians when Paul talked about uh, don't bite and devour one another lest you be consumed by one another. Could have been Corinthians, but somewhere one of those two. Grumbling and complaining, guys, I'm just going to tell you honestly, it's something that God cannot stand. God hates it when we murmur and complain. If you don't believe me, just read through the book of Exodus. Okay? It's like he takes it personally. Because what we're essentially saying is that we don't like God's governance over our lives. How it's, how, you know, what he's allowing into the equation of our life. How he's choosing to grow us, to stretch us, to, you get the idea. We don't trust in the fact that he's working toward our eternal good and his eternal glory, so we gripe. And James says, listen, the Lord's going to deal with that too. But what do I say? May God help us to trust him more. In verse 10, he says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. 
that you've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He says, guys, you know, have you ever noticed that when you're going through a tough time, I don't know if it's, we do it to ourselves to an extent, I'm sure. The enemy is at work, I'm sure. But we have this tendency to kind of isolate ourselves in our mind thinking that we're, the man. why me? I'm the only one, never, you know. And we have this kind of thing where it's like, I'm going through it. Well, listen, he says, you're not alone in tough times, in suffering, suffering evil, in affliction, in persecution, in patience. He says, you're not the only one that has to be patient in a situation. You're not the only one that's being drawn this direction. He says, consider the prophets and how we consider them and count them blessed as they endured. You read through and you read their story and you're like, man, that's incredible. And you know, you read through Hebrews chapter 11, write it down, read it later. You can put it in the margin of your Bible right there where he starts talking about the prophets. And it speaks of how they were scourged, how they were slain with the sword, how they were tortured, how they were tried, how they were chained and imprisoned. They were stoned to death, tormented, forced to wander in deserts and mountains and dens. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. And they're being treated like this. And how they patiently endured, awaiting the promise of God. In another place, I don't remember exactly where Paul wrote, and he said, you know, how many of us have resisted unto bloodshed striving against sin? You know, he says, we count them blessed. Guys, listen, there are no victories. You understand this, right? There are no victories apart from battles. Um, there are no peaks without valleys. There's nothing to persevere apart from trials. If you want the blessing, prepare to carry the burden and fight the battle. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be a good soldier. Right? Um, I, I, are you closing for us, Karen? You're welcome at any time now. He says, consider Job. Now, uh, maybe your Bible says of Job, you know, look at his patience. It's not the same word that he uses earlier. It, it's better translated perseverance, okay? Look, when you read the book of Job, again, an honest reading, you're going to note he kind of like, uh, he got a little impatient. And understandably so. I mean, who could, who could really blame him? I mean, we like to compare our little trials. It's like, oh, me and Job. It's, it's not me and Job. Believe me, we're not on that level, Okay? But he never relented in his perseverance. He didn't charge God with wrong, but he trusted him regardless of what entered the equation of his life. And in the end, God blessed Job beyond anything he could have imagined. He, 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 he was never, Job was never given the why. Why is this happening? Job was never told. But he knew he could trust in who. Didn't know why, but he knew who. And that's why he said, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, right? Says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future 
and a hope. Guys, Satan would have done so much more to Job given the opportunity. God said no. The Lord is merciful and full of compassion. He sustained Job through his trial. And then finally here in verse 12, he just says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth uh, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. In other words, guys, he's saying, don't be flippant with your words to, to others. Don't be the kind of person that has to back things up by swearing. Oh, man, I swear. Well, what is it? Well, so if you just would have told me, I would have had to like maybe think, maybe not. But because you swear now, I can really believe you. See, when we swear, all that really does is testify to maybe a lack of integrity. We have to really, really underscore it for someone for it to be believable, you see. He says, look, just be a person of your word. If you say you're going to do it, and, and maybe the context is in you've agreed to a certain wage, whatever the case may be. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Matter of fact, the Bible says, blessed is the one who swears to their own hurt, but doesn't go back on it. In other words, I'm not telling you to go out there and do something that's going to purposefully set you in a bad way, but like you gave someone your word and then an opportunity came up that would have been better. I don't know, what would be a, a, an easy example? Uh, you have a car. You put it out there and uh, someone offers you $1,000 for it. It's kind of a beater. You were asking to, you go, well... Okay, and they're like, well, I'll be here tomorrow to pick it up. And then someone goes by and is like, man, I'd get, I, 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 will you take 18 for it? And you're like, and you're thinking, I could call that other guy back. But you already gave your word. Man, I'd love to sell it to you. I gave someone else my word, right? So you've, you've kind of given him your word and you won't go back on it. That's what he's saying. No, doesn't let your yes be yes and your no be no. God keeps his word to us. Aren't you glad that you don't have to wonder and worry if like he's going to be like, well, I said if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd be saved. But now I'm thinking, I'm not sure. I'm just saying God keeps his word. His yes is yes. And so we're to keep our word to others. God, we thank you for your word to us both in exhortation and consolation. And God, I pray that, you know, we've talked about wealth and our word, and I pray, Lord, that we would be those who honor you with our resources, that we would be a people of prayer, casting our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. And may we patiently persevere until you come again. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you, God. We just pray, be glorified in our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to take a quick second here and just, I just want you, listen, God is merciful and full of compassion. 
when, J- when James writes and says, we see the end intended that, that the Lord is merciful and, and, and full of compassion, he's talking about from the bowels, from the deepest, like this is, this is the fiber of God's being, that he is merciful, that he is full of compassion. And he extends his mercy and grace to you in the person of Jesus Christ who settled the sin issue through the blood of his cross. Forgiveness of sin, newness of life, finds you in Jesus Christ. So I'm encouraging you to trust in him today. Maybe you already have. Maybe you know him and that's wonderful. Maybe you haven't. So this is your moment. Say, you know what? I'm done fighting. Maybe I don't really (laughs) understand But what I do know is that things aren't working out the way they are, and I'm ready to trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, maybe they're working out great practically, materially, whatever the case may be, but in your heart, man, there's that big gaping void, that emptiness. It's uh, it's just claws at you. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's because that's a God-shaped void. We try to fill it with all kinds of things, but it only, it all, and it's kind of like a temporary fix to the permanent problem. Jesus Christ fills the void. Just trust in Him today. So, I'm just going to say, if you need that prayer, if you want to receive the Lord, man, then just now's your moment. Just raise your hand, and if I see it, I'll say so, and you can put your hand back down. It's awesome. Anyone else? Okay. Well, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy, God. And you, you see the hands, you, you see the hearts. And ultimately, Lord, you're searching our heart. And so we pray, God, have your way. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. Fill us, God, with your spirit. And we know, Lord, that when hands come up here, hearts open up before you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would move and minister, make yourself real. And Lord, maybe for anyone who's who's in that place of the mismanaged priority, who's been thinking primarily just about this life and not giving much thought to eternal life. Lord, I pray today that we would awaken to that reality. You would revive us, O God. We thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, for those of us who may be struggling in some sort of unfair deal or unhealthy relationship, you know, God, that we just continue to cast our cares upon. We thank you that you hear us. But we want to trust in you and say, have your way. Be glorified in us. Help us to establish our hearts. Strengthen us, God. We thank you for your love. And that your mercies are new every morning.
So fill us with your spirit and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen.